Pastor Steve and myself, we don't always have the opportunity to be up here in front of you every Sunday. Obviously, we're not the senior pastor. And so today, I have the opportunity to be here. And, and I thought it would be fitting. I have my family here today, um, some extended family as well. And it's not always that you get to make uh, an announcement to friends and family uh, very often. And if you know my family, my wife and I, we love grace. We love being here. We love everything about this place. And so this morning, we thought it would be great to just let our church family know that God is a great God, and my wife Elizabeth and I are expecting our fifth child. So how awesome is God? Isn't that great? And on top of that, I would like to also confess this, that I just lied to you in April Fool's. So... If you're going to buy gifts, don't send them to us, but if you do, we'll take them. Just know my wife is not pregnant. For all of you who keep saying we're going to have our fifth, no, we are not. We are done, but uh, just thought I would start off the morning with a little April Fool's, all right? Everybody's clear, right? She's not pregnant. Just want to make sure we know that. My wife can come back and she's like, I can't even be in there when you say that. Like, she's like, I can't. Liz, I know she's out in the back there. It's okay, baby. They don't think that we're going to have 30 kids. Uh, a little boy was sick on Palm Sunday, and I can relate. But uh, he stayed home from church that day with his mom. And his dad came back home from church, and he had with him a, a palm branch. The little boy was curious, and he said, Dad, why do you have a, a palm branch to which his father responded, and he said, Well, son, when Jesus came into the city, the people began to wave palm branches and laid down their cloaks. The little boy said, Oh, shucks. The one Sunday I don't go to church, Jesus shows up. <laughs> you see, the boy thought he had missed Jesus. Have you ever missed something? I mean, think about it. In your entire life, over your lifespan, have you ever missed something? Like maybe, maybe when you were a teenager or maybe when you were newly married and you still did this, or I guess now that you're older, you might, like you, you were planning on going to the movies. And so you get all ready and you're like, all right, we know that the movie starts at this time and, and we begin to make preparations to make it to the movie on time. But sure enough, you get in your car and you get onto the highway and there's a traffic jam and there's just no way around it. You're, you're stuck. And you end up missing the movie. Anybody? You ever miss something in your life? It's okay to respond. Remember, I do better when you respond. But maybe, maybe not just a, a movie. Maybe, maybe you missed it a, an appointment. You forgot to write it down in your uh, uh, planner, your calendar. You, you, you missed the meeting. All of a sudden, you get the phone call, and you're like, hey, where are you? What do you mean, where am I at? I'm at home. Yeah, but we got a meeting. You, you, yeah, you missed the meeting. Anybody ever missed the flight? Anybody ever missed the flight? A couple of you? Are you brave enough to admit that? All right. I had, a, I had a connecting flight. You know those connecting flights that are real quick? You know what I'm talking about? Like you land. I, I, one time I was coming home from school, and I had a connecting flight in Atlanta. It's the worst place to have a connecting flight. I get dropped off over here. My next flight leaves in literally five minutes, and i got to run 17.8 miles to the other concourse to get my... You ever missed a flight? Maybe, maybe you missed the doctor's appointment. Anybody? Was that on purpose? 
I've already made one confession to you. My wife's not pregnant, so I might as well make a couple others. Uh, Anybody ever missed a Mother's Day? My very first Mother's Day, my wife and I got married. I just forgot. Maybe. All right. Anybody ever missed their first son's fifth birthday? It happens. It happens. Have you ever missed something? You see, that young boy thought that he had missed Jesus. Well, today is Palm Sunday. It is the beginning of the most historic week in all of history. It is the day that the king would make his way into Jerusalem out of obedience to his father to put into motion the greatest plan, the only plan for redemption of all mankind. It's Palm Sunday. It's often referred to as the triumphal entry of Jesus. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 19? Also, we're going to be going to Jeremiah chapter 1. So if you want to turn there, put a bookmark, a, a finger, something. We'll make our way there in a little bit. I want to um, clarify something with you this morning. Typically, um, our senior pastor, Dr. Wingenroth, um, and our church, myself, Steve, uh, we normally teach from the pulpit out of the New King James Version. That's the version that's in your pew. That's the version that our church uses. However, this morning, for the sake of my time with you, I am going to be reading and teaching out of the ESV. It's what I studied with. It's going to be a little bit different. It's a little different than the New King James, the ESV, uh, or NIV, the New American Standard. I don't want you to get all disheveled. The words, if you don't have a Bible, will be on the screen. There's also one in the pew in front of you. would love for you to take that. Here's why. I want you to make sure that what I'm saying is true and accurate. So read along with me. Follow along with me as we discuss God's word this morning. Let me do this. Let me open us up for my sake in prayer. And then we're going to dive into God's word this morning. Let me pray. Oh, Lord God Almighty. Lord, I pray, oh God, I pray for the next however many minutes, God, that you would use this broken vessel to proclaim your word. Lord, may we be a a people who hunger and thirst after righteousness. God, as your word is spoken this morning, would you tear down any walls. God, would you fill this room with your very presence? Bind Satan from here. God, so that lives would be changed for your glory and for your honor. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Luke chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 28. Verse 28, it says this, And when he had said these things, we'll stop right there just briefly. When he had said these things, what things had he said? Well, if you were to look back earlier in the chapter of 19, you would see that right before the triumphal entry header in your Bible, there is a parable that has taken place. Jesus has just 
told a parable as he does many times. And in this parable, it's a specific parable. It's the parable of the 10 minutes. And in this parable, Jesus establishes something. He establishes kingship in the parable that takes place. And so what happens here is Luke is linking the establishment of kingship to the triumphal entry. And I just want us to be clear for that. Are we good with that? Luke has linked what Jesus has just taught about, which is his kingship, and he's linking it to now the triumphal entry. And so we'll read. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphaga in Bethany, at the mount of that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Just real quickly, Jesus is heading into Jerusalem with his disciples. And here's what he does. He sends two of his disciples on ahead. And here's what I find interesting. All four gospels give us an account of the triumphal entry. All four gospel mentions that Jesus sends two disciples on ahead. But here's what's interesting. Not one of those gospels ever mentions the names of those two disciples. Kind of like what Rick, Rick said. Whoever's up here, it's not of importance. Because the names of the two disciples weren't important. Was it Peter? Well, we don't know. Was it Andrew? Uh, probably not. Was it Thomas? I doubt it. Oh, you got it. Yes. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who they were. Here's what does matter. Do you know what they were? They were obedient. The Lord said, go. And what did they do? They went. They acted out of obedience. And that's important for us to know. As Christ followers, we need to be obedient. And you might be asking yourself, why did he send those guys to find a small donkey? Like when you think of a king, you're not really thinking of a donkey, are you? Like when you think of a donkey, what comes to mind? Anybody? Shrek? Like that's what I think of. I don't think of a king. Like, that's the last thing. Normally, when you think of a king, you think of things like gold, like a throne, like chariots. This dude's sending them to get a donkey. That's not very kingly. Like, I picture a king coming in, like Jesus, not on a little donkey, but like on a lion. How awesome would that have been? Maybe a tiger or a bear. Oh, my. Do you know what I'm saying? A donkey's not very... It doesn't make a bold statement as, hello, I am the king. I think a lion would have made a bold statement. Don't know how many people would have got close. But Jesus sends these two guys and out of obedience they go. And here's what's kind of crazy. Why a donkey? Well, I'll tell you why a donkey in those days when a king would enter into a city, if he came in on a horse, 
It declared something. It declared an act of war. That war was imminent. It was coming. There was no escaping it. It was a emphatic declaration. It was a battle cry war. But the contrary was also true. A donkey represented humility and peace. Humility and peace. You see, Jesus came to this earth as a humble servant. We find many places in Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33. You don't have to turn there. But kings often used donkeys because they wanted to protect family members. We see David put his own son on a donkey to make sure that nothing happened to him because it was a declaration of peace and not war. But also... The final reason that Jesus came on a a donkey and not a horse or anything else, well, it was to fulfill the prophecy. You just saw it in the little script that we just watched. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Jesus came and he was going to ride in on a donkey to fulfill the prophecy that was spoken hundreds of years earlier. And that's pretty cool. This morning, I want to share with you, as Jesus is about to enter the city riding on a donkey, that you and I don't miss the king. I want to share four points with you. Hopefully you can see them. I guess I didn't make them very big. Number one, don't miss your opportunity to give to the king. Don't miss your opportunity to give to the king. Look at verses 31 through 34. It says this, If anyone asks you while you are untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. You see, the owner of that donkey could have missed his opportunity to give to the king. When the disciples were untying it, he could have said something along these lines. Hey, hey what do you guys think you're doing? Why, why are you touching my donkey? Back away. But the disciples, again, out of obedience, what do they respond? They respond exactly as Jesus had told them. They say these words, the Lord needs it. Don't miss, watch, don't miss your opportunity to give to the king. Could you picture what might have happened? Again, I'm not saying that this did happen, but picture with me what might have happened. Maybe this man who gives his donkey begins to follow the disciples as they Take it to Jesus. Hey, I want to see what they're going to do with my donkey. And so he's a little curious. And they take it to Jesus and he sees them set this man upon his donkey. And they see him as he's about to enter into Jerusalem. And all of a sudden there's this commotion and people are yelling and shouting Hosanna and waving palm branches. And he sees that they're laying out these coats on the ground for this donkey and this man to ride on. What do you think may have been going through that man's mind? 
hey, this is, this is incredible. That's my donkey he's riding on. Hey, that's, that's my donkey that man is riding on. Why? Because he didn't miss his opportunity to give to the king. Hey, listen, what are you giving to the Lord? Don't miss your opportunity. Hear my heart. I'm not talking financially. What are you doing to give to the king? Maybe it is a sacrificial gift. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your effort. Maybe it's your energy. What are you doing? You see, he could have easily missed. He could have not allowed them to untie it and take it to Jesus. But he was willing to give to the king. Now, don't miss something. You see, when I first read this, I struggled a little bit with it. Here's why. The response that Jesus told the disciples to give was something that has been contrary to me as long as I've grown up in church, which is Jesus says to them, tell them that the Lord needs it. And you see, as long as I've been taught, I've been taught God doesn't need anything. Have you ever been taught that? God doesn't need anything? I I believe that. I I believe that today. God doesn't need anything. Why? He's what? He's God. He doesn't need anything. And yet he makes the statement, the Lord needs it. Be careful. It would be better translated this way. And this is incredible. Not that the Lord needs it, though that's how it's written. The word for needs is better translated, the Lord has a specific task for it. Did you catch that? The Lord has a specific task for that donkey. It's a specific task. All throughout the scriptures, men and women have been called with a specific task. Turn real quickly to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Starting in verse 5, it says this. Before I formed you, In the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Do you know what that means? That before Jeremiah was ever even a thought in his parents' little head, God had already had a specific task for Jeremiah, and that was to be a prophet. Listen, people, God's got a specific task for each and every one of us. Jeremiah was to be a prophet. Listen to what he says in verse 6. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. God says, Hey, I got a specific task for you, Jeremiah. Before you were even born, I knew you intimately, personally, every detail about you. And I've set aside a task specifically for you. And that is to be this this amazing prophet. And you're going to have loads of success. Not really. Jeremiah does what many of us do. Ah, I think you got it wrong, God. I'm not going to really be a good prophet. You see, I'm too young. I can't speak. I can't communicate. We always have excuses when it comes to God, don't we? 
And Jeremiah's like, ah, I can't. And God tells him, don't say it's just because you're young. Don't say it's because you can't communicate. Look at what he does in verse 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. What did God do? He equipped Jeremiah. And I would venture to say this to you. You could write this down. It's free of no charge. God will never call you to a task that he won't equip you for. He won't. He's going to equip you for the task at hand. He did it for Jeremiah. He did it for Moses. He's, he's done it throughout all of Scripture. Why would he stop with you? The Lord has need of it. See, that donkey had a specific task. He had a specific task. And you and I, we have a specific task that God has called us to. And each one of us is probably different. What are you giving to the Lord? Are you giving over what he's called you to? Think about that. Number one, don't miss your opportunity to give. Number two, don't miss your opportunity to serve the king. Serve the king? Yeah, go back to Luke 19. Look at verse 35. And they brought it to Jesus. What is it? The what? The donkey. And then they, it says, verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus, the donkey, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Listen, don't miss your opportunity to serve the king. They bring this colt to Jesus, but there's something unique about this colt. Did anybody else pick it up? What's unique about this colt? Nobody's ever ridden it. Now, there are probably some of you here in this room that are way more familiar with horses and and donkeys and animals than I am. But here's one thing I do know. That animals that have never been ridden could probably cause a lot of trouble. Couldn't they? I mean, picture that with me for just a second. This could have been written completely different. Instead of it being the triumphal entry, it could have been written more or less like something like this. The ride that never happened. Right? The cult that didn't cooperate. Yes? The bumpy ride of Christ. It could have been that Jesus, as he's entering Jerusalem, like a bull rider, one hand in the air, the other one there, and he's hanging on for all he's worth. Why? Because that cult had never been ridden. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, but you see, here's the thing. You know what that cult did? It served the king served oftentimes jesus will ask you and i to serve and you know what we're like we're like an unridden donkey and we kick and we buck and we scream and we say i'm not gonna do it and yet he's called us to serve him he's called us to serve man that donkey served The king, you see, a lot of people have had the opportunity to serve the king, but they don't. 
You see, I don't know whatever happened to this little cult. I don't know who else ever wrote it or what it pulled or what it carried. But here's what I do know. On that specific day, it carried something very special. It carried the very presence of God. You know, what's amazing is that something always carries the presence of God. Did you know that? In the Old Testament, what was it? The Ark of the Covenant, right? In the New Testament, the Bible says that the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus in the form of what? A dove, right? And then we have this colt Jesus riding on. But after the resurrection, do you know what happens? The Bible tells us for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we now have the very presence of God resting within us. We carry the presence of God everywhere we go. Are you serving the king? People know. People know. Hey, don't miss your opportunity to serve the king. You might say, oh, Pastor Luke, you don't understand. My time, it's done. Or, you know, I don't really have very many gifts. Or, I'm not very good. Listen, God's called all of us to a specific task. Remember? What are you doing to serve the king? There's many areas here at Grace Baptist Church that you could get involved with Monday mornings. There are faithful men and women who come and pray over our campus every Monday. And you could do that. You could work with little kids in the nursery. We always need help in the nursery. They never ask me to, though. Praise Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, there's always areas to serve. Maybe you could pick somebody up and bring them to church or Maybe you could cook a meal for somebody. Or maybe you could write a thank you letter. Or maybe you could write a word of encouragement. Are you serving the king? Don't miss your opportunity to serve. Number one, don't miss your opportunity to give. Number two, don't miss your opportunity to serve the king. Number, number three, and my favorite, don't miss your opportunity to praise the king. Look at, look at verses 36 through 40. And as he rode along... They spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Man, I love this. Watch. Picture it. Jesus is riding on that donkey. It's not bucking. He's just smooth sailing. And people are shouting palm branches the whole nine yards. And who's there? The Pharisees. Why? Because they're at every event. Not because they're there to kind of like protect Jesus and make sure nothing happens to this guy. No, they don't like Jesus. And so do you know what they do? They go to Jesus and they say this. Hey, Jesus, tell your disciples they need to be quiet. In fact, the actual term used by the Pharisees in the Greek is epitomio, which means to rebuke or express strong disapproval. Strong disapproval. 
disapproval. You see, the, the Pharisees were actually scolding Jesus. Jesus, you better tell these guys to stop. Jesus, you better knock it off. Jesus, this is getting out of control. Could you picture it? Me and my sinful nature hoped, and I know he didn't because he was holy and righteous, Jesus would have been strolling on his donkey, almost sarcastically going, if they stop, the rocks are going to cry out. Like, I would have loved that. And Jesus does make that statement. Hey, if these guys stop praising me, then the rocks will cry out. And I want to help you understand what that means. It means that when you and I stop praising and honoring God, that creation will. Creation will. The word for cry in the Greek is the word karazo, which means to shout. Now watch this. It means to shout. And it's in the future, active, indicative, third person, plural. Did you catch that? Because I didn't. No, no, no. It is in the future, active, indicative, third person, plural. For all of you Greek or English majors, here's what it means. I've put it on the board for you. It's future, meaning it's going to happen. There will be a day that all creation sings the praises of Jesus Christ. It is active, meaning it is ready. It's an active verb. It's not a state of being verb. It's it's an action verb. It's ready. It's indicative, meaning it's literal or actual. The third person referring to the disciples that the minute that they stop, well, it's plural. Every rock would begin to sing the praises of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine if it would have happened that Jesus says, hey guys, chill out for a second. And all of a sudden, as the Pharisees are walking, the little pebbles beneath their feet begin to shout. The mountains that surround them open up and sing and proclaim the awesomeness of God. You see, we don't want to miss the opportunity to praise our king. Here's why. Think about what he's done for you and for me. Not just physically, not just emotionally or financially. Think about this. Think about it more redemptively. Man, should we not be praising the God who has given us eternal life? Amen? Amen. Like, I don't know if you follow the news, but did anybody see this week Powerball? $640 million. The last I heard, there were three winners in three different states. Any more than that now? Anybody? Still three? What do you think those three people did when they found out they won? They what? They screamed! Why? Why did they scream? They were excited because they just won money. And yet you and I have something way more valuable than money and it's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and we sit silent. Don't miss your opportunity to praise your king every day. Praise him for who he is and what he's done. 
Man, don't miss your opportunity to praise your king. And then fourthly, and I'm done, and the most important one, don't miss your personal invitation with the king. Don't miss your personal visit with the king. Look at the last couple of verses, 41 through 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a um, barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will leave no one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Listen, this morning, if you hear nothing at all, and I know pastors say that all the time, but hear my heart, don't miss what I'm about to share with you. Jesus, as he's approaching the city of Jerusalem, he begins to cry and he begins to weep for the people there. Why? Because they were going to miss the king. You see, they were looking for an earthly king that would rescue them from Rome. But he was a heavenly king looking to rescue them from sin. And they would miss it. This, this morning, I want to share with you, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it's as simple as this. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible also says that the price for our sin, the wages of sin, it's death. It's eternal separation from God. You know, our sin has to be punished. But here's the good news. The good news is, is that God prepared a way to redeem us from our sin. And it was through Jesus Christ. He came and he lived on this earth 33 sinless years. And then he willingly sacrificed his life to die on a cross. And the Bible says that he shed his blood, which covers my sin. And it can cover your sin. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Hear me. Don't leave this morning. Don't leave this morning without a personal visit from the king. We don't do this very often, but this morning I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads with me. We'd like to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. As the piano plays, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and today you say, Pastor Luke, I would like to do that. I'm going to ask you to just to step out of your seat. I know it's uncomfortable and it's awkward. But listen, if you're not willing to stand before God in front of people who claim to know Christ, you're not willing to stand before God around people who don't know Christ. 
But today you say, man, I'd like to ask Jesus to become my personal Lord and Savior. As the piano plays, and our heads are bowed all across this room, the believers are praying. And if you've never accepted Christ, would you come forward? Understand, I'll lead you in a prayer. And the prayer doesn't save you. The prayer has nothing to do with your salvation. It's whether in your heart you trust that Jesus is who he said he was, did what he said he would do, and that one day he's coming back for us. If that's you, you come now. We won't tarry long, but you come. Amen.